0: Hi and welcome to a small medium at large podcast i'm your host Gail Heisen bringing you intimate stories that heal i want to thank all you listeners for subscribing sharing sending in very thoughtful comments and telling other people about our show we're growing we're getting close to 900 subscribers now and September 1 will be our one year anniversary So we're really looking forward to having new people listening to our shows. And we're also hoping you enjoy our diverse selection of guests that we're having. Today, we have Lisa Raphael. Lisa Raphael is a spiritual teacher and sound and energy healer who works in multiple artistic and spiritual realms of healing. She's an expert on vocal sound healing. She teaches her unique process of mastering energetic boundary and the healing power of your voice in all her sound healing classes. Her transformative program, The Five Worlds, supports self-empowerment and self-healing. Lisa's deep spiritual connection has birthed a teaching style that is perceptive, clear, kind, and joyful. Classes may include elements of Native American teachings, psychic healing, ceremony, and shamanism a composer, playwright, chantress, and poet. Her spoken (laughs) words in Now is the Time song and video with music by Grammy winners, Lily Hayden and Ytai Disraeli, emotionally connects to the depth of their pollution crisis. Her award-winning book, Music, set Safe in the Arms of Love, includes original music to enhance bonding and attachment the her co-creators Gary Malkin and David Sarenda. Let's welcome Lisa here today. Hi, Lisa. Welcome. Hi, Gail. Hi.
1: You know, it's interesting, uh, my name, because you you identified it as Raphael.
0: Oh, I and keep taking that error. I'm so I, sorry.
1: Well, I, it happens very frequently. And um, the name Raphael actually came from my grandfather, um, which was Rafalovsky, ah. and they came from uh, the Ukraine, uh, Poland, you know, Same Eastern,
0: my family came from, yes, yeah, Eastern
1: <laughs> European, and when they came to Ellis Island, they cut off the Ofsky, so it's Raffel. however, because I live near Marin County in Northern California, where San Rafael exists, and because people remember that there is an archangel Raphael, it uh-huh. they'll change my spelling, they'll change my pronunciation, um, and you know, mine was a cut
0: off name. So and I have uh, been, I have been spelling it incorrectly for years. Just so you know, that's <laughs> <laughs> because you know
1: there is that association. And what's very interesting when I first looked up my name. I thought, well, I don't remember when I did this, but uh, I thought there must be a meaning for my name. And so I looked up Lisa and it said gifted. And I thought, oh, that's sweet. Okay, gifted. And then I looked up Raphael. And of course it was Raphael. And they said it was God's healer. And that's so I, um, when I was putting together my practice, when I was first doing all my healing work was when I had looked that up and so i took that in as gifted god's healer and that there was a mission that was a part of whatever i was doing which was to be curious and to explore and to receive and to surrender and find out is there is there
0: something there for me mm-hmm. so so this this so so that so the there's been learning from the, the different pronunciations of the name. Absolutely. That was part of your name. My grandparents came, my grandmother came and her name was in Poland. She was Kutnik. And when she came, they said, now your name is Goldstein. But like <laughs> Goldstein did come from anywhere, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, so... I I wanna welcome you today. And before we start my first question, did you wanna do a little prayer or something before we begin or what do you feel like?
1: Oh, I'd love to, thank you. Um, You know, the vocal prayers that I do, which are based in, um, uh, they're actually very common in indigenous cultures and ancient religious cultures, which is where you allow the vowels to really sing the intention And so when I sing the prayer, I like to have the prayer in mind. And so I have that intention. And then I'm putting into form that intention, that prayerful intention through the vowels. And I use harmonic overtones because they are the geometric reality of our body. So when you sing the overtones, then you're also taking that prayer into the cellular structure of the body so what should our prayer be?
0: Something about joy.
1: I love that. You know, um, all my classes are about joy. So, um, so I like to say the more joy we experience, the more joy we're bringing into the world. So that means the more joy there is in the world, you know? So, um, and there are so many people who are frightened and, uh, really in terrible distress and Mm -hmm. whether it's physical, emotional, mental, or spiritual, and with what they perceive of as crises in the world. So um, because there is so much change happening and because it's being done violently, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: you know, um, what I'd like to do is sing a prayer for calm that has joy inside of it. So if we can calm and we can experience that calm um, in, a, in a real body way, then joy has a chance to bubble up. Okay. <clears> okay. <throat> Ah. again so i'm curious the it says my original sound is off could
0: you hear it all oh yes beautifully
1: oh good oh good
0: oh no i i i have to say we'll get into things later but it just i have fa- i have always found lisa's sound to be some of the soothing most incredible thing to listen to when you're having any tremendous amount of anxiety so you have calmed me down from many years ago and i just want to thank you again because that is true uh, amazing sound that comes through you
1: thank you thank you i i get to receive it too <laughs> so, so it's a double blessing you know yes yes yeah.
0: um so that would bring me to why and when did you start healing practice, sound work? I know you play amazing uh, uh, crystal bowls, and I've seen you do unbelievable things with these. And I'm wondering if you could tell our listeners all about how this began.
1: Um, It's a long story, so I'm gonna bridge it as tight as I can. Okay. Because it actually started in 1987. Um, I ended up going to Nepal in 88. And it was a very uh, powerful calling that took me there. I didn't know I wanted to go there. I actually didn't want to go there. It was one of those experiences that we've all had, but this was the first time I had it where something popped out of my mouth Mm -hmm. and told me what to do. And I was sort of, you know, in. Oh. <laughs> you mean I'm really going to go, I had to go to Toronto, I had to see my brother, I had to, this other man was going with him to Nepal, and it popped out of my mouth, you're not going to Nepal to change your life without me. And so I went. And then I actually went through a very big life and death uh, initiation. When I was there. And when I came out of that initiation, um, the experience that I had internally at the end of a number of events that transformed me into believing that not only what I thought could manifest, but that there was a God. Mm -hmm. Um, It was a true awakening of I really, I really understood you could not have this kind of beauty in the world if there was not a God that's that's what became so clear and so then when I got back to LA and I was working as an actress I couldn't do that because I needed to be honest with myself I needed to become whatever it was that this was guiding me
0: to become do I remember were you a soap opera actress or I can't remember it was television it was television
1: it was television. I did episodic television, so I was a mom and a doctor. No, I wasn't. I was a nurse. Mm-hmm. I was a mom, a nurse, a crazy person. Um, I was an you know, what, what undercover person. I was, you know, it's all the all those different right. roles, all those different roles, and um, you know, I really liked the idea of being in that industry, but I didn't like being in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I had the talent for it, but uh, it's not, a, it's not a, a healing conducive industry. And it's all based on values that really were starting to irritate me because this isn't about the truth between people. And so I ended up becoming a performance poet. I started writing a lot of poetry Mm -hmm. and I joined a troupe called Poetry in Motion. And there were a lot of stars in this troupe. And it felt good to be in a troupe where there was a lot of talent. Mm -hmm. And uh, it inspired me to be better and better and better and to really um, free my inhibition and really become a performance poet. So uh, it was extremely difficult in the beginning. I was very nervous. And and then I met this group of people who loved being exhibitionists, you know. (laughs) It was like, oh, I could be more open. (laughs) Oh, I could show more of myself. Oh, I could say more truth. And it was a very important time when i was doing a a performance in a i think it was a club at that one and um a man came over to me with a flyer and he said you need to know about this i didn't know the guy and it was um an invitation to go with dina metzger to greece um
0: ralph metzger's wife
1: no they're not related they know they know knew each other but not related um and this was following um this period of time where I was very curious about guides and spirit and, um, and I, I had this in, in Nepal, I had this voice in my head telling me what to do. And when I came back, I found an expert in Buddhism and he said, oh, uh, what does he look like? And I described the way he looked and he said, oh, Padmasambhava is talking to you. Oh. But I didn't tell anybody, Gail, because I thought they'd think I was crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, so I on this flyer, it's to me I'm reading the people who did the Illusinian mysteries were hearing the voice of God. And that this trip, you know, you'd hear the voice of God, something like that. And so I got a commercial which paid for the trip. You know, I didn't have the money, and then I get this national commercial. So I go off to Greece, I'm in, on the island of Crete, we're all gathered around, I don't know anybody except one person I do know, and, um, and Dina's saying, so what, what called you on this trip? And I said, well, there was something on the flyer about hearing the voices of God, and I was curious, because I wasn't going to talk about it, you know, and she turns white, and she lifts up the flyer, she said, there's nothing like this on the flyer. <laughs> <laughs> You can tell we're on the right path. (laughs) On the right path. So we're going to this cave on the island of Crete, the cave of baby Zeus. We're in a bus. And I'm I'm writing. I'm a left-handed person. I'm writing. And I just, I don't know. I picked up the pen in my right hand. In my right hand. And I started writing. And it said, would you like to change your life? And I said yes. And it gave me a ceremony to do at the Temple of Athena in Delphi. Mm -hmm. So, on this trip, when we got to Delphi in the Temple of Athena, which was an extraordinary ceremony to do, no one, it could be with no one there. And I waited for the moment, and the voice comes in and says, Now. And I walk down, and the person at the gate leaves, and everybody leaves, and there's no one there where I have to do this ceremony, you know. It's a collaborative world we live in.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You're given these opportunities and it's up to us to say yes or no. And,
0: right.
1: and we say yes or no based on where we are in our lives and what we're feeling and what our history is and what we're, what we're feeling strong enough for and our courageous part shows up. And I had been in a place where I was really broken. So for me, um in Nepal, I had to choose to live or die. And I chose to live. Mm-hmm. And that informed me through all the rest of these incredible opportunities and invitations to, to say yes, that, that, that gave me the courage to say yes. And so I said, yes, I did the ceremony. I, I came back home, I would hold up a rock in my hand and it would change color. I would go into a computer store and the computer would say abort. My TV was going on and off by itself, you know? Uh, And I was afraid. I didn't understand what was happening to me energetically. So I I had to learn for myself what was the story that I was living and what was the story I was being asked to live. And how would I get there? So I needed to trust the voice. I needed to trust what I was being told. And people would come to me and say, you know, out of the blue, you know, I need you to do this ceremony. I've prayed about you and you are the one. And I'd say, well, let me pray about it and I'll let you know. (laughs) Because I've never, (laughs) I've never done anything like that, you know? And then I'd pray about it and I'd be given the instruction for what it was to do. And then I would say yes. And mm-hmm. what I learned in Nepal, which was incredibly important, is when spirit shows up, it's not always as we imagine spirit to be. Sometimes it can look frightening. Sometimes it can look beautiful. Sometimes it can look like real suspicion question in, from our own history. Could that possibly be?
0: Mm-hmm. And,
1: and what I learned through this particular learning cycle was when when spirit would show up in, I would see in the room presences, and I'd say, okay, you're here to help. I understand you're here to help. <clears throat> Many years later, when I was studying Bon Tibetan Buddhism, mm-hmm. I studied with Tenzin Wangyal Rinpoche when he first came to Los Angeles, and he was teaching soul retrieval, and he gave us a ceremony to do where you build this structure out of barley and it's, a, it's really a, uh, you're buying off the negative spirits in a way. You're creating this and you throw it off the hill and you say, I'm, I'm offering you this so that we can be allies. And that's how I've always felt ever since Nepal, that, that there's always allies.
0: And they show up when you least expect it too.
1: (laughs) And, and when you, and also when it's the right time, Mm -hmm. you know, when you're, I have found in my experience and also with people that I teach, you know, I, I say to people, if you've come to me, if you want me to teach you, then you're ready for joy. Then you're ready. You're ready to discover how to get there, Mm -hmm. you know, and you're ready to give up. The torture and the, and the story that's judgmental and the story that, that creates any pain in you.
0: So after Nepal and after your voices were getting stronger, plus you were having now vision besides hearing the voices, right? So auditory and visual. Uh, when was it, was it from those first experiences where people were coming to you and saying, I want to do healing with you? And you were sort of surprised? Was that the beginning and it started just snowballing and you continued on then? Or when did the actual, when did you say, when did you get the, I don't know if it's a confidence or a decision making or a voice you heard, but, but what 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 made you start and sit down and say, okay, now this is what I'm doing? Because you've accomplished a lot of things in this in this world. I was
1: doing the poetry. Um, I had come back from Greece. I had had this very magical experience in Sunnian where I had to bring home some rocks and uh, the rocks were in my house. And I started becoming, from the time I brought those rocks back, I was was becoming more interested in rocks. And um, I had gone on, anyway, it's a longer story, but um, when I got those rocks brought to me, someone else brought them back, um, I don't remember exactly how it happened, but I was talking about hands-on healing. And he said, well, sometimes when I cup my hands, it, it creates a heat and it helps. And he had this, uh, big bruise on his leg. And I said, well, why don't I try? So I cut my hands and I put it over his leg and the bruise fades away. Now, this was when I was just got back. So I was, potent, you know, it was, it was, it was busy energy going on. And, um, and I went, Oh, Oh, and then a deeper, Oh, so um, when people, I would say to somebody, well, I'm, I'm exploring healing work. (laughs) (laughs) And then I got very nervous. So I did quite a number of clients and people would come and, I would help them, and that was good. And then I got nervous, and a friend of mine uh, was very close to a wonderful psychiatrist named Oscar Janiger, who did a lot of the work with Timothy
0: Leary. Yes, I know him. I mean, I don't know him personally, but I know of his and other people who saw him, and people who said he saved their life going to him.
1: Oh, he was extraordinary, just extraordinary. So I show up, I'm still in this... um, woo-woo land of myself, trying to figure out, well, am I supposed to be doing this work? And if I'm supposed to be doing this work, what am I supposed to call myself? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I can't, I'm, I'm not a shaman. I'm, I'm not a healer. I'm not a, you know, I, I didn't self-identify as one thing that I would then have a shingle and say, this is the work I do because that's not what was happening so I go to Oscar, and I kept very good records of my clients, and I said, I don't know what to do, and he said, well, give me, you know, tell me, tell me, you know, uh, what's it called when you give um, uh, the description of what you've done, there's a particular word for it, but I would describe to him the presenting complaint, and then what I would do about it, and how I processed that complaint and what I did with my energy to help. And at the end of 10 sessions, he says to me, do not put out a shingle. (laughs) And he said, look, I have given uh, diplomas to thousands of psychiatrists and you are more qualified
0: and don't worry about it. I I just want you to know that I had the exact same questions for myself use the exact same words shingle and uh, the very qualified therapist that I was working with told me the exact same thing like this man told you and said something very important which made me forget the whole shingle thing altogether he said if you were to say now that you were a therapist or you were a social worker or you were a psychiatrist or any of those shingles he said you would never be able to use all the different things in your capacity to do with another person because there's rules and regulations that you have to follow when you put yourself under that shingle he said you're better off just being yourself and uh i so i'm just i think that's excellent advice and i and i'm very glad that i received the same one
1: yeah me too i'm glad you received it too because Mm -hmm. the Also, we wouldn't have explored all of
0: those other paths the same way. Exactly. I I was talking about Weechul shamanism. And um, on my birthday, a whole group of Mongolians came here and did shamanic ceremonies in May. And I hadn't had any ceremonies for a couple of years because of COVID. And it was so wonderful to have these people come and do all this wonderful ceremony to the trees to the sky to the fire to the earth and feeding it and all those the different things reminding me oh this is what's been missing gail you need to remember to keep doing these things but somehow i wasn't because i was feeling like oh what's when we go to a group or when someone but really i know someone like yourself can just do ceremony alone you don't really have to have a whole uh, regalia thing going on to do to do ceremony and how it showed me i mean this is only may that i'm you know telling you that I learned this message and it's that I need to continue to have ceremony and spirit work in my life always because if I don't there's a piece of me that's not being taken care of and uh that message showed me the difference of how I felt after ceremony and what I felt like before these Mongolians came to visit Mm -hmm. so I I just to, to any listeners it really is important and it doesn't have to be anything fancy schmancy or in a temple. It can be in your living room or you, or somewhere on your property or wherever it is you need to be. You can have a little ceremony with yourself. And uh, I, I, I have seen your work before in conferences and I want to get to our Mongolian questions. And since we don't want to spend a whole lot of time, what I'd like to do is if you could just talk a little bit about the five worlds program. And if that's also part in teaching about the healing effects of sound.
1: Mm. I'm gonna digress for one minute. After Greece, I ended up doing, um, I was doing a lot of psychic work and I ended up doing work in England where I had an out-of-body experience that I was in Egypt. Uh. And that called me to Egypt. And when I came back into my body, I needed to know about sound. Mm -hmm. So um, that was a, a complete chapter of doing sound in the temples and leading sound in the temples and going. I led three additional. I went with ions on the first trip. And then I led three additional trips to Egypt so we could do ceremony and sound in the temples and also on the ground and also at the oasis. And just to understand that our expansive nature is mathematical, that this is not imagined. This is really real. This is mathematical and our multidimensional beingness is mathematical. It lives in, in our cosmos between you and me, are multiple dimensions that have frequency that are specific. And when we work with sound, you begin to recognize that these specific frequencies have real value. And, yeah. and then when you, when you realize that, you can also, because it's, it's palpable because you can feel it, mm-hmm. then you can begin to psychically and awaken your, your dimensionality to understand that you can attune to those frequencies. And um, I'm doing a talk actually tonight, I'm doing a live talk. I give these the first Monday of every month, but because of 4th of July, I'm doing it tonight. But tonight is about the importance of, of being in your bones because your bones are the tuning fork, but they're also the incredible grounding structure that makes it possible for sound to resonate through your body through the bones is very different. Bone conduction is very different than water conduction. So how that helps to support your groundedness in your own body. So all of these experiences in 1994, I was doing Kabbalistic study back in New Jersey And um, I was studying with Jason Shulman, who had started a program called uh, Society of Souls, which has changed now over the years. It's called Something Dualism, Something Else. But he was given a program that really had to do with how to embody the, the knowledge of the Kabbalah into the body. And so I ended up going back to New Jersey four times a year for four years. And I had some cousins there who said, well, why don't you start to teach when you come back? I can pull together some people.
0: Ah.
1: So I had a friend who was dying in Colorado, and I went to say goodbye. And one of my roommates from that class, the first class, was lived in Boulder, Colorado. And I thought, I'll give her a call because she's going to be my roommate. And um, so she says, oh, come spend the night, you know. Let's get to know each other. And I had just released Ancient Prayers of Aaliyah, the first CD, Mm -hmm. with all the prayers that go through the body. And I had one with, I had a few with me, one for Hank, and um, I just had some extras. So she said, um, oh, I'd love to listen to it. So she puts it on at night. I, I say goodbye to Hank. And um, next morning, she said, oh, my God, I listened to that at night. and Oh, my God, that was so great. She said, what are you going to teach? And it poured out the whole program. The whole program.
0: That's
1: and right. I said, wait, I have to write this down. <laughs> <laughs> And over the years, Gail, it has changed. It has adapted. There have been new exercises, new exercises keep coming in. So I add new exercises. But the five worlds is a way to understand the multidimensional truth of ourselves. And the first world is that I'd like to teach is the cloud, which is your relationship to spirit and how that's a co-created relationship and how it changes all the time that your relationship to spirit in whatever form it appears in that moment is always changing, which is what gives us permission to change all the time. We never, we never actually lose that relationship. It's just, we don't remember it. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And, or we're not acknowledging it and allowing it to become more active, but it's always there. It's always there in, in the Kabbalah, you know, You could go into any sphere and you see the wholeness and what that means is no matter where you are in your life you always have access to your wholeness Mm -hmm. no matter where you are in your life so the first is the cloud and then it became very important to help people to see so the next is the mirror which gives you a chance to self-reflect. How do you see yourself through your eyes? How do you see yourself through someone else's eyes? Where is that judgment stopping you from actually being able to see? And that was when we start entering psychic space so that we can see that when we're in, I create a specific container and a specific way for people to start to see. And the core of it, as you know, is how do you receive what you're getting?
0: Mm -hmm.
1: You know, do you accept what you're getting and are you willing to see without judgment? And so, because I'm kindness based, (laughs) that's my, that's my bottom line. Mm -hmm. um, Then you learn to be able to see with that experience in a way that you see it in a way that hopefully teaches the first experience of boundary Because when we go into psychic space, I work with boundary in psychic space. So you're not just dissipating. Yes. Very important. And you're beginning to see that energies will manifest to give you answers. Mm -hmm. And then we move into the sword, which is embodiment, which is all about courage and the willingness to let go of fear. Mm -hmm. And then we go into the veil, which is really our, our... perhaps new experience of understanding that fear, mystery, and the unknown are actually remarkable.
0: Yes. Remarkable. So how often do you teach the Five Worlds program? Twice a year. Twice a year. I do it
1: in the fall and then I do it winter, spring. Mm -hmm. So it's fall, uh, I've changed the program because of COVID and because of online. It used to be a four-day program, residential, um, be, and we would move through into the five, fifth world as the diamond of clarity and balance that integrates everything. Mm-hmm. And, and it would take four days and we would, but then I brought it down to three days. Then when I would teach it in Europe, I would do it as a weekend and then a following weekend to give people chance to integrate. And then I did it over four different Sundays to give people a chance to integrate. Um, now I am doing it in, uh, how am I doing it? I'm doing it on Sundays. It's four Sundays.
0: Four Sundays. It's and four
1: online, Sundays. It's online. It Zoom? So, so Zoom. Yeah. And you know what I've learned? Which, you know, when Larry Dossey, God, so many years ago, started talking about non-local reality and how energy is not limited by distance. And we all said that, you know, because we believed it. Zoom is the most astounding teacher. I can work with somebody in Europe, in South
0: America, and they feel it. I, um, I did a, a shamanic cleansing with a girlfriend of mine. And because of COVID, I knew that there was no way I was going to, you know, uh, fly to pennsylvania where she lived and you know cleanse her house before she moved out after 35 years and lost her husband and child in the house to suicide. Oh. So it had a lot of very heavy combinations of energies in there and i said you know i've never done anything like this I, but i want she's my friend for you know over 60 years and there was i had to figure out some way i could be part of helping and assisting her in this separating and ending of a chapter of a very important thing of her life, and it turned out I just put the phone on um, uh, FaceTime, and I set it up on a you know on a little tripod in my shamanic section in my in my house, and I played all my different sounds that I use when I do these blessings or cleansings, and. Uh, she would take the phone and go into each room and I would never move around. I would stay where I was, but I would send whatever it was to that room with her. Mm-hmm. And when we came upon each room, that one, the one that had been her daughters, the one that had been her and her husbands, I would have incredible visions of things about them that were very accurate about who they were. So I knew we really made contact and the proof was in the finale when she thinks she's leaving an hour before the new people come who she's never met because that's how the real estate exchange is done. And they come an hour earlier, she's just about to close the door after we finished the blessing and feeling like it's really been cleansed. And she has this beautiful meeting with the new owners and shares the joy of passing this house on to them. Mm. And when we walked in, everything felt clean and none of the intensity of what we had done. Mm-hmm. And I was I'm just saying, I'd never done that that way before with using these electronic tools. And I just wanna say, I was very surprised at how well it really does work very well. And if you're doing it on Zoom, it's, it's, that has to be fantastic also then where you can connect and see people in different places in the world. You wouldn't be able to go there to help that person. Absolutely. Uh, I feel like this way about the Zoom being the format I use to do these podcasts. I'm going into living rooms all over the world and people are hearing and seeing in a way that even if you write a book, couldn't necessarily get to them. So it's a it's it's anyway, so I think it's a great thing, because and then also people who can't travel, you're Mm -hmm. able to give teachings and healings with people that are maybe in a wheelchair in a place where they can't go anywhere. That's right. So I, I, you know, I I always try to look at what the pluses are of the technology. (laughs) Well, I
1: first of all, it's not going to go away. No. And 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 neither is covid for if, if it does go away, it's gonna be a long time away. Mm-hmm. And uh, although people are normalizing as much as they possibly can, uh, it's, it's still dicey to get together in large groups because somebody might have very mild symptoms, but somebody might have long COVID from that. Somebody else might have very difficult symptoms from that. And if we're truly kind to each other, then we're gonna try and hold some distance in some way.
0: That's um, exactly how I feel. This yeah. is the 50 year anniversary of the Remote Viewing Association. Uh, they're having a huge conference in um, Menlo Park at the uh, 22nd of July. Ah! Uh. And as much as I would like to be there, I don't really want to go and expose myself or anyone else in these groups like this. And I'd much rather be able to see the conference online. Yeah. Uh, it's a safer, a safer route. Anyway, doing, on that.
1: I am doing um, an in-person retreat, a sound retreat mm-hmm. at Asilomar in December through the shift network. They have gathered, uh, I think it's 12 of us,
0: 12 right, that's teachers. A small group. That's not a hundred. You know? right. Well, you know, but it's
1: also spread out. Asilomar is outside a lot, and the rooms are very, very big. So I'm sure they've taken all that into consideration. And, um, and it's all about sound, which,
0: you know, I really wanted. you know, you don't know what it's like for someone like that is not, a, has no zero ability to make a note or understand a tune or hear a melody or, you know, my husband just listens to something and he goes down and plays it on the piano. I can hear these things but it can never come out and the only time I ever made a good sound was when I was in the king's bath or chamber or whatever inside the great pyramid right just opened up my so when you were saying that about Egypt I said oh maybe that's why that sound kept coming out of me and sound amazing sound but I had nothing to do with it I can't make sound like that I've always wanted to take a class with you like could you really make somebody like me who's tone deaf a sound come out that sounded
1: good? <laughs> well, here's the thing, Gail. First of all, I'm so glad you had that experience in the Great Pyramid. Oh, Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. For people who are very sensitive and get it right away, and people who are not, who can start to feel it, I mean, it's really something. Um, but sound is not about beautiful. Uh-huh. It, it's really not. Um, it's about authenticity so that sound that you made in the great pyramids was an authentic sound yes that's that's why it was so powerful Mm -hmm. when when we're making sound so in mongolia you know i have to tell the story of how i got there but i i want you to know that if you can hear the sound you can make the sound Mm because in mongolia you know people were doing humi and they're doing the deep tones and I'm thinking, I'd love to do that. And they're saying, women can't do it. And I'm thinking. Really? Really? Well, what if I, and so I started looking around. The throat singing, the tune Yeah. Type. yeah. I didn't yeah. know that only men do that. That's not true anymore. Great. That's not true anymore. So the first time I was there with you, I'm hearing this and we go to the concert and they're all singing and I'm coming out of the concert and I'm going, I can do that whoa and then i went i can do that so then the second time when i went back you know they're saying oh there are some women singing it now You started the new trend. I, they didn't know I did, but you know, I think, I think it was in the air that we, the, the group of people just sort of went, I can do that. <laughs> sure. I can figure that out, you know? So um, yeah, if you can hear it, you can make it. And if you can't make it, you can find a way to get close enough to it vibrationally. So it can be authentic. hmm And it's really about the authenticity of what it is you're feeling when you make that sound. So if you are feeling, if you're feeling like uh, this is a tough morning and and you want to do a ceremony and you just you've got in your mind what a ceremony is supposed to look like and you don't have a candle and you don't have a match and you don't have, you know, all the things that you're thinking you need for a ceremony. You don't need any of those things for a ceremony. What you need is to connect to spirit. That's the ceremony. And then you can act it out in so many other ways, but it's the connection itself that is the ceremony, which I have to do every day or I am not me. Mm -hmm. So, And I do it in the morning when I wake up, I connect to spirit because that is who I am. I am a person connected to spirit. And when you reinforce that every day, it doesn't mean it's going to stay around forever. If you forget, it just means you forgot that day. So the next day you remember again Mm
0: -hmm.
1: there it's not, it's always there, but it's up to us. It's really up to us how we wanna live our lives. So if you're authentically feeling, really it's a bad morning and you don't know what to do, you could make some sound. You could, you could drop into, you could take a breath. I teach breathing exercises. You could do a specific breath. You could drop that breath into the body. You let the body and the breath feel each other. And then you make the sound that you're unhappy that it's a hard morning. And it could be something like, ah, 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 But what that sound does is it moves the molecules in your body that are holding that experience emotionally. And that sound then becomes a communication. It's an expression of
0: what's been held emotionally. And because certain frequency that would be different than, say, a joyous sound frequency. It depends upon what
1: you're holding. Oh, it's really what you're holding. So I could be a joyous person and still be close to that frequency. I could be joyous and go ha 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 in the same range. Mm-hmm. But it's what I'm holding. Right. Now I'm probably not going to make that sound if I'm joyous. Right. I'm probably going to be doing more of a whee, ha, ooh, <laughs> sound, you know, because that's what erupts out of that authentic space.
0: During this ceremony we did on the 15th of May with this, Ulsik was the very beautiful woman shaman, Mongolian. And when we were doing it, at some point, after she had me jaw harping and drumming and different things, <laughs> Exactly that sound started to come out of me, and I was afraid to let it go any further because there were different people sitting there, and I felt that if I let the sound go more, I would then, of course, leave my body and that I'd be going into a whole other realm, and I felt that uh, maybe this isn't the right time and place for me to do that. But they, all of them came up and asked me because the other six Mongolians are shamans in training, And they were all um, affected by the sound that was coming out of me and wanted to know where it was and what was the sound and who was the spirit and these different questions, I I couldn't answer any of it because I didn't know where the sound came from. I don't know what to say I just knew that if I went deeper with the sound that I would go deeper, and then this you know ceremony might go on another you know i might be gone for God knows how long into some place I had no idea. Right. So I just sort of brought myself back into my body and stopped the sounds, but I don't know where they are or where they come from or, you know, well, here's, here's two, two answers. One
1: is if you're curious and you want to know, you'll find out mm-hmm. if you accept and you don't need to know. That's my feeling. That's, how that's always, my feeling. That's yeah, my feeling. It doesn't
0: feeling. matter to me. It just, let's let it be. And it feels right. That's all.
1: Yeah. Uh, and, and for people who are trying, it is it is very um, brave to accept that a map is not necessary mm-hmm. and to be in that authentic connection and that and you trusted your instinct, which was beautiful. You said, I don't really want to go that big. It's this isn't the appropriate time to go that big. Exactly. And and that wasn't fear. That was mm-hmm. consideration that was your instinct saying, that's all that's needed. And you might have terrorized those poor six people had you gone bigger, and they well, would have given up their fear, you know, it was my way.
0: birthday, and my three adult kids were there.
1: Uh-huh. And my
0: only birthday request was that they attend the ceremony from the beginning to the end. And those are the people I was more concerned with, I could have freaked out. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, that's really legitimate.
1: Yes. Oh, you know, we we are multidimensional beings living most of the time in a 3D world.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: and we're living most of the time with people who f- accept that the 3D world is all there is.
0: So I wanna kind of go back now a little bit to the discussion that we were having about Mongolia, because I see our time is getting kind of closer in our hour. And I wanna talk about the conferences you attended there. And um, I think there was something in the conference where you learned more about energetic boundaries or I may be misunderstood, I'm not sure exactly, but what was your effect of going to this trip to Mongolia and what happened in your conference there and did you present or what was your reason for going and is Mongolia still in your life today?
1: Oh, Mongolia is in every cell of my body. Me too. I, you know, so I got there because of you, because you said you were going. And I said, I've always wanted to go to Mongolia. And when I was a child, I used to imagine myself riding a horse next to the car when we were driving late at night to go to my grandparents' house. And I thought I was a Indian girl, but when I realized I wasn't, I was a Mongolian girl Uh riding that horse there was this blending of the indian native american and mongolian that sort of interwove and i felt this i have to go to mongolia so you said you were going and then you had seen me present at the shaman conference you know and you said you should ask if you should go you know and so i gave an application and but ba- and uh, batar at that time he was running the conference with Bhat bayar but it was him really i think more than Bhat bayar at that moment um, He said, come, so I had to come. So you were going. So I didn't feel like I was completely alone, Um, but I was traveling alone around the world to go to this place where the shaman was gonna pick me up at the airport. I had no idea who these people
0: were. And um, when Zaripatari- We had never met yet. No. Through the Jeffrey Love Jeffrey Mishlove um, presence group, that's right. We we're both in the Impresence group, and I posted a little announcement there about Mongolia. Right, and so it was actually in Mongolia when I got to physically meet you for the first time. That's correct. And so that was a uh, you know both of us didn't know, but it's turned into a seventeen year friendship now. I think or something because I think that was two thousand and six. I think or yeah two thousand six.
1: Yeah. It, you know, I got off that plane. The first thing I did was kiss the ground. Yeah. Honestly, I couldn't help myself. And when Zaripatar showed up with Bayerma, it was Bayerma, right?
0: Mm-hmm. I just heard from her today. In fact.
1: Oh, you must give her my love. I
0: will. She's doing very well. You know, she became a lawyer.
1: No, I didn't. I knew Zaripatar had died, but I didn't know she had become a lawyer.
0: Yes. Well, she lost both him and his daughter, do- their daughter, their
1: daughter. Yeah.
0: A very bad car accident. And um, uh, she's, you know, gone on and just, you know, kept herself together and became a lawyer. And she had the one her one child that her son, who was still her son. And yeah. he had grand- she has grandchildren now. And she's got she's just seems to be, you know, she looks wonderful in her pictures, etc. Uh, uh, uh. It was Nadam was just this weekend in mongolia mm-hmm. they sent me some amazing photos and the opening ceremony video of the opening ceremonies fabulous it's gotten a lot fancier since when we were there i have to say that, how it, could it, that be it that doesn't seem possible but as i was looking at it, like, oh my god how could they make this more magnificent but they do
1: how could and, that be it was so magnificent yes, it was amazing
0: Tell you one other thing since you do live in the Bay Area, like myself, and to any of our listeners who are in the Bay Area, they actually have a Nadam in Alameda every year on the same weekend, the same day that it is in Mongolia. They had one here July 9th uh, in Alameda. They have anywhere from two to 400 people in attendance. And uh, I didn't go because of COVID, but they sent me the photos of it. And the the little stalls and things that are set up, you look like you're back in Mongolia again. And uh, there's a whole large Mongolian group that follow the lineage of Chinggis Khan shamanism, where the shaman that I was initiated at is the Buryat uh, lineage, which is the Buddhism and Mongolian combined together. Right. Shamanism. But in this one, there, it's all has to do with the, Genghis Khan lineage of shamanism. And they Mm. say that's the oldest of the shamanism lineages. And so apparently this group formed in 2011 in the Bay Area for the amount of Mongolians that were living there for them to be able to go up and they go up to, um, they publish all these books and raise money to help people in Mongolia. Like uh, they saved a mountain recently, this group from being taken down by mining and, you know, whatever it is, destroying it uh, for minerals and things, and whatever they did, they raised enough money to help stop it, and that mountain did not get taken down. Wow. They're doing good work here. They're back in Mongolia right now, the people that I met, and um, I find it interesting, because I was initiated in 2011, and that's when they started their organization in the Bay Area, (laughs) but I'd never met them until this, this, this year, so Anyhow, when you went there, you spoke, um, I wanted to share that in that first trip, uh, on the first conference, we were together in a uh, yurt, that's, we call it a yurt, but there it's called a gear, and we were across from Lake Hofskolle. Right. Which is a very incredibly magnificent, one of the 11 pristine pure lakes left in the world. And it was so huge, you remember, it was like an ocean but we couldn't cross to go see the reindeer people because no. it was a very bad storm and it looked like ocean waves in a lake. That's how rough the water was. And we just had to see their little fires dotted on the hillside across. But you and I were sharing in this, in this gear and we decided, I, it was something about, we had just seen a lot of shamans about fire and you and I felt like we needed a fire somewhere and we needed to do a ceremony. And we went walking off into the woods there and it was dusk and this, you know it was, it was becoming night. And we found somebody that had just cooked a lamb. I don't know if you remember this. And there was a fire there and they said, well, we're leaving, but we'll we'll give you our fire. And you took out your crystal bowl, which by the way, listeners, Lisa carried this crystal bowl with her everywhere in Mongolia and it never broke. Nothing happened to it. I could not believe the amazingness that she could take this around with her and she took it to the forest with us. And when we sat around the campfire, all these local Mongolian village people kept arriving out of nowhere. And the two of us sat there across from each other and you started singing your angelic sounds and playing this this crystal bowl thing, making unbelievable sounds with it. And the people just kept pouring in and Zora Batar just went to the side like I'm not the shaman here. It was clearly Lisa who's the shaman here right now. And she is doing unbelievable healing with people who she doesn't speak their language. They don't speak our language, but we had some interpretation, but you didn't need interpretation because you were sharing from your heart and you were reaching into their heart. And I got to be there as like a little assistant watcher or whatever on the side there, as all of this came down and you started telling each one something personal about their life. Mm -hmm. And somebody was helping us to sort of translate. And the people were, I mean, they were just in awe of you and were so grateful you were there doing this. And it was a magic moment that you and I had that we will have forever in our memories in a place in the middle of nowhere at Lake Koskel in a forest across from the reindeer shamans. And I wanna thank you because that has always stayed with me as a very special moment. And also you gave me, I don't remember which the CD is but it was the CDs of you singing. I don't know mm-hmm. if it's the same one you gave that other woman. And I put it in, cause then you, you, we had little cassette player, you know, CD players, that was your Walkman or whatever. Remember everybody, this was 2006, and when I would get like very intense anxiety from some of these things I was experiencing or seeing or feeling or wondering whether I was going to get any food or what was going to happen that might be making me crazy, all I had to do was put on your CD and I calmed down immediately. Mm -hmm. And I was so far from home or my familiar things or any of the things that you might have that could comfort you in those feelings in the middle of the night of anxiety like that. And your sound just comforted me immediately. And I was so grateful through that trip that whenever I'd have any of those kind of nights, I would just put my headsets on, I'd put on your music, and I'd calm right down. So from 2006, I want to thank you for all the the healing that you shared with me in that trip.
1: Oh, well, Gail, you, you made it possible for me to be there by how you live your life and how you speak from your heart and how you're so authentic and genuine in your generosity. And I felt safe to go to a place by myself that was overwhelming on how to get there but it didn't feel like that. It felt like it was exactly right and you know when we went back two years later and I brought my husband um, that was a very different conference. That was much more intellectual. Surat you know he he had you know remember uh, Dr. Dr. B the other shaman when uh Zeripatar and he they had the oh, fight yes over the rain that he had brought over the rain. rain right he had called in the rain and zaripatar was really angry he called in the rain and he sent the rain away and they were <laughs> having this wonderful experience i have a picture of me and dr b um that i'd be just i'm just feeling so grateful to you for opening that opportunity for me to know myself at that level. You know, the key, the key of Mongolian shamanism for me is we're the tuning fork between the earth and the sky. Mm-hmm. The, and, you know, heavenly, heavenly sky is heavenly earth and heavenly earth is heavenly sky. And, and we are the tuning fork between the two. And, and all of my listening, What's become more and more and more clear as a co-creator is we are the receivers and co-creators. You know, we have to receive the vibration first before we can make it. We have to allow in that remarkable magic in order to learn how to embody it so that then we can be a part of it and we can resonate with it and bring that into the world. So I'm really grateful to you, sweetheart.
0: And I'm really grateful to you. <laughs> it's a very shared experience here with each other. And I, I hope you listeners can feel the love that we're having right now. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, it's it just, and you don't know how then you reconnect, you know, through the, through all these things. I have to say, I bought some, uh, I bought a couple of your books Um, with a CD for pregnant women to listen to. Oh, I have one here. Oh yes, wonderful. And um, I used it, I waited until I found the right women that I knew needed that. Uh And they were very, very grateful to receive it. It was the piece they needed that was missing for them going into childbirth to feel more at ease and more at comfort with the process that was approaching them. And some women are just naturally flowing into that, but some aren't. And that was a very valuable tool. And I felt so glad that I had something to give that woman so that she would be able to go through her pregnancy in a much more positive and supported way because she had that book and CD to listen to. So you're doing work that goes out and out and out to, you know, you don't even know who gets affected by the work that you've done and how you've helped them. Thank you. I, I appreciate
1: you mentioning the book. You know, the, I didn't bond well with my mother. And when my daughter was born, she was seven weeks premature, and we didn't get a chance to bond. Mm-hmm. And then when my son was born, even though he was three weeks early, we did bond. And it was so obvious the difference mm-hmm. between how do you trust someone, how do you feel that sense of ease and calm, And that bonding experience is interrupted so often in births in our modern time that it it makes it very difficult for women to feel that sense of spaciousness, to feel that sense of sacredness with enough time so that all those hormones that are trying to act in your behalf, you know, all that serotonin running through you, all that... um, all that, um, uh, what's it called? I'm having a blank moment, um, endorphins. Well, it's, it, you are just um, full of love. You're full of this sense of love. And even if it's a very difficult birth, if they, if, if you readers, listeners, whoever you are out there, if you allow that baby to rest skin to skin, on your body for at least an hour uninterrupted. The health benefits that go to the baby alone, the regulation, the comfort, the ability to transfer. I mean, when I really think about it, Gail, you're in this dark little place inside a woman's body for a long time. And you're growing, 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 growing. And then suddenly you're not there anymore. And suddenly you're in a big world that is full of sound and full of light and full of temperature and full of emotion and full. And if that baby has a chance to rest on the mom's body, or if the mom's not capable on the dad's body to rest and feel that new regulation, that it's okay to be in the world. That this isn't a shock. This isn't something I have to be afraid of or prepare for. But that there's someone there that I can count on. It changes everything. It changes everything. So once I learned that, I didn't, you know, many, many years go by before it really hit me. And when it hit me was I, I spontaneously started writing the lullabies in this book. -hmm. And I took them to Gary Malkin and I said, I want to produce these. And he had just finished End of Life, Graceful Passages Work. Great work. Great work. And he said, Oh, I'm open for new work, you know, for new babies and the start of life. And so we created this project and he said, Write your story of the first birth. And it shocked me. It shocked me how I had missed it, how I had normalized our separation, which is what most people do. You don't know what you're missing till you know what you're missing. Mm -hmm. You really don't know. So that became a very key project, this book and CD. And um, I know it's in China. Uh, We've talked about translating it into others and making it an ebook. It's on, it's on all the streaming services. So, so people can hear the lullabies, but you don't actually hear them in order the way it was on the CD.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I like them to go to the website and learn about the order and then they could set their order up and is
0: it available on Amazon to purchase or through you or uh, the book is available through me to purchase. Okay, so we'll have that on our description so people will know how to contact you. And it's beautiful. Yes, it's
1: beautiful. And um, it has a lot of information. It has information about um, how how to actually vibrationally feel what it is to have that bonding experience. Because if you haven't had it from your parents, you don't know you're missing it. Mm -hmm. How would you know? And, uh, you know, our generation was the first. Now there's like four generations of unbonded people
0: Mm. who just don't know that they're missing it. You know what else I think is I've seen through the years as I've looked at my own family or relatives or things is the moment of conception is also a very important part of who you become. Yes. Because if you've been conceived in love or you've been conceived in obligation or you've been conceived in horribly rape or any of these particular other things, I can see the difference in the adult grown people who've been conceived in love and who have not been conceived in love. Because there's a total, there's just a total different energy that they bring with them from that beginning start. And also the same of the, I was not bonded. I was put in a shoebox, and I was taken from the mother who gave birth to me and given to another person in a shoebox, And I was not given any physical contact Mm. By either being a newborn baby or even at birth, and I was a premature baby, so I was only four pounds. And I know that I've had to come overcome a lot of obstacles from that lack of touch and love, and that as I was growing up as a child, my uh, father, my mother, would always yell at me, "How come you always have to be sitting on people's laps?" Because I needed physical contact. Right. I needed to be hugged, and I needed to be loved, and I, I, I knew that. I knew that then. I didn't know that I didn't get that, and I didn't know I'd been brought home in a shoebox, and I didn't know the story of my little humble beginnings till much later in life. I didn't know who my mother was even till much later in life. So when I found out and got to put all the stories together, it was wonderful, but still, it's something about that conception and something about the moments of birth and who is around you and how they hold you are very, very important. Otherwise you have a lifetime of having to heal that afterwards. (laughs) That's true. I'm
1: so glad you mentioned that. You know, um, I'm a member of an organization called APA Association for Pre and Perinatal Birth Psychology and Health. And (laughs) and it's a big mouthful, but really, if you go to APA, um, A-P-P-A-H, it's all about the consciousness of the baby. You know, and once the baby is conceived um, now we there are there is a chapter in Japan that um, is affiliated with us that is talking about preconception. Um, But that relationship to the soul is.
0: So do we have time for one little story? Sure. We're we're over time already, so (laughs) the listeners can hang in. I hope they do.
1: So this was a very powerful experience. I was singing at the World Festival of Sacred Music in Los Angeles. And um, I was performing actually with John Densmore from The Doors, which was really fabulous. And we had um, an additional percussionist and I was invited over to their house for dinner and I'm over at their house and uh, his wife um, confides in me that she's not feeling well and and she's pregnant. And I said, well, would you like me to scan you, you know, and see if I can connect with the baby? She said, I think something's wrong with the baby. So I said, let me connect with the baby. So I ended up connecting right away. And the baby said, I want you to tell her that I'm leaving. I'm not dying, I am leaving. And that I have been with her as long as I need to be with her, and that in a year, she will give birth to a perfect, healthy baby.
0: Did you and deliver I, the message? That's a hard message to deliver. I did. I feel emotional just you telling me it's making me cry.
1: I did. I did. And she miscarried the next day. Oh. But he wasn't, he wasn't dying. He was leaving. And that. That taught me about the immortality of the soul. That even though a soul might leave, you know, even though, you know, that we have such a big abortion issue going on right now with what is abortion and who is in charge and um, how how is that supposed to be uh, for someone else's opinion to control someone else's body you know, what are these dynamics? What's the truth underneath all of this reaction to life and to what is the preciousness of life? And is it life must give birth to a baby to have a life of hardship and horror? Is it life to give birth to a baby and then provide the love they need? Is it, you know, what are these questions? And when I had this experience with this baby, I just knew that it's not about the body, that that baby's coming into, and that that baby's soul will come back, and that gave me comfort. Mm-hmm. That really gave me comfort to understand the
0: immortality of our souls. It seems like, for me, from all the different things I've I've gone in the retreats and that all the different people I've studied with and it's that the consciousness lives on yeah that there's not uh you know that and whether we call it consciousness or soul or whatever the word is there's something that lives on that the body has that it's just our it's been our temple or our shell or our you know something that we're borrowing for a while and then it, it dies just like everything else in the cycle of life but the essence, the the consciousness, the spirit that does that never dies. No,
1: it never dies, and that we leave imprints. Now that's the interesting part. I'm sure you, as a psychic, you are accessing imprints. You know when you're looking out, you know people mm-hmm. who have passed over, and those imprints still are able to give us a lot of information. So how is that possible? You know so. So I I can be with an imprint of somebody who has passed and I can ask a question, I get an answer. How is that possible? So what are the multitudinous multiplicity of threads that connect each of our lives over and over and over again to each other, to each other? We are so connected when we remember that we are so connected to
0: each other it brings me to the we are one Mm -hmm. and we forget you know we forget that the person you know you know very sensitive you know people are suffering in the ukraine if i start to think about what's happening to these people and they're all our people because we're all related and we're all connected as one so when they're going through horror there's a part of us that's going through horror Mm -hmm. it's just that we're just it seems like we're over here in our body and we're doing our regular things but is another part of us that, like you say, is a thread and we're connected to all of these things that are being done everywhere. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I can't understand why we can't end up with some sort of a peaceful, joyous, loving world. But if there's no judgment, then you just say, take everything how it comes and you just say that, well, this is what's going on here or this is what's going on there. But I, I, I still find that... Um, I need to reach out and touch people. And and there was, it's just such an important thing to still be able to keep our heart connections. Absolutely. I, I, you know, and doing these podcasts or going to see someone who's, you know, maybe not going to be long for this body anymore, whatever we can give to, to help or, you know, I feel like any of the service we could do. And again, I don't do it under any shingle, and I don't have tax deductions for all of it. But when I can help a family in the We I send the money to help them. If, if there's somebody here at my home and they're doing their cancer or whatever, you help them. It's right. just what you do. And exactly. I think that the more loving and helpful and kind and less judgmental and the more joy we bring in, because I feel like laughter is my best. That's, what's, that's what saved me through everything is laughter. So I just think it's very important that we've shared, even though we might, we didn't follow my list of questions here, we talked (laughs) about the things that we needed to talk about and that listeners, you know, we don't know which listener is pregnant right now and is going to get that book and is going to have a wonderful experience because they learned about it Mm -hmm. or a sound person or someone who may sign up for your class, including my own self. So, (laughs) (laughs)
1: Well, let me tell you, the class is only 12 people.
0: That's
1: wonderful. So, so um, and we're over half full.
0: Mm-hmm. So,
1: for anyone who's listening, go to my website, which is www.lisa rafael, L I S A R A F, as in Frank, E L, lisa And all the information about The class or any of my classes or the retreat that we're doing or any of that it's all on the website so and they can also order the book or just contact us or
0: perfect so at the end of our description of the show all of those uh the website will be there and the information in case somebody's in their car driving right now and listening to this show they don't have to worry it'll also be there for them to look up and they can find out how to contact you oh great And it'll be wonderful, whoever it is that comes through, will have an incredible experience if they connect with Lisa.
1: (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Well, it's a wonderful experience to be here with you.
0: Well, it's really wonderful having you. I I think we'll have to close now because we're about at an hour and 20 minutes. And I was wondering if you'd like to do a little closing prayer. Sure. Uh, It would be great. And all I'm going to say to our listeners is thank you for being here today and enjoy this very special moment that Lisa's gonna share with us now. Thank you, Lisa, for being here. And I really wanna have you back again because I wanna get over some more of the other questions we didn't get to talk about. Sure, sure. Um, I'm gonna put that original
1: sound on cause that's, no, I'm not. It, it's gonna get confusing. I'm gonna keep it the way it is because okay. it was fine. Okay. Um, so this is just a prayer about um
0: well connection thank you that's that's what i feel is my one job i do connecting of people (laughs) yeah yeah great way to end okay okay my eyes because i want to just float with your sound
1: okay thank you yeah go on go on <speaking in> Hi <Hebrew> <speaking in Hebrew> <speaking in Hebrew> love to you gail
0: much love to you lisa and thank you so much for sharing with us we really appreciated you being here today sharing stories that heal thank you mm-hmm.